Tweaking Geek number six, recorded on February 6th, 2008. Brought to you live from downtown Guam. <laughs> Does Guam have a downtown? I think Guam might have a downtown. Well, you know, Guam would have a downtown under one condition. And that, that is? That it actually had a town. I'm not sure if it had a ta- has a town. I mean, must. When was the last time you like had a good conversation about Guam? I couldn't tell you. Well, according to Wikipedia, it is officially the territory of Guam, which is an organized, unincorporated territory of the United States. So it's an unorganized territory? You mean if you go to Guam, like it, Guam's stuff is like all over the place, and when like you're like, Guam, are you ready to go? And, and Guam's like, I can't find my car keys, and I have to do like a bunch of stuff before I go, and I think I left the iron on. Guam is divided into 19 municipalities commonly called villages. Uh, that tells me it's probably not so big. Well, you know you know where Guam is? Far? It's, it is south of the North Marina Island, or Mariana Islands, and north of the Federated States of Micronesia, and it's to the right of the Philippines. East, oh. maybe? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yes, it's, if, you, if you want to play that little game, it's to the east so, Craig, uh, what are we going to be talking about tonight? You mean besides Guam? Besides Guam. I think we've exhausted the conversational possibilities of Guam. Or, I, I would have to say, though, that was probably the most riveting experience I've ever had involving Guam. And actually, the only experience I've had involving Guam. But, moving right along. So today, as you know, Tweaking Geek has become an internet phenomenon. With we've nearly doubled of- our listenership in the last That's- couple months. And I think someone who listens to it actually might even like it. So, uh, oh, now you're you talking know. crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know that's crazy. Well, but you know what? All of our uh, fans and groupies uh, are. You know what? I'm sure they're wondering how exactly do we go from uh, nothing to coming out with this wonderful podcast of Tweaking Geek. So we're going to talk about us. Us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, if we want to maintain our four listeners, I mean 400,000 listeners, then <laughs> we should talk very little about us. No, um, well, I was wondering, or I think everyone's wondering, how do we put together a podcast? Because I know before doing this podcast, I knew, you know, I listened to a bunch, but never really had any idea how to do a podcast. And actually, to this day, I really don't have much of an idea how, because I, I will say it, you're the brains behind the operation. But, you know... People are probably wondering about this, so... I'm not the know. brains, I'm just the pretty face. All right, so... Uh, We're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with the with the hardware. I mean, we both just have standard desktop PCs, uh, running Windows, some flavor, uh, and... Except for mine's not standard, it's awesome. <laughs> we discussed that last week, just how awesome it is. It is very awesome. Um, but um, I'm using a USB plain old Logitech headset, nothing nothing too fancy. I am using a Plantronics headset, DSP, and the DSP stands for Digital Signal Processing, and we have at least one listener who I know has digital signal processing as a hobby, so I needed to make sure to bring that up. As a but, hobby? Uh, yes. Well, I'm not sure. The Hooray! I convolved the signal. <laughs> you just said convolved. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Plantronics. Uh, this I think that Plantronics uh, is actually. I, I heard about it from uh, uh, 
some of the other podcasts I listen to that you know where they talk about what headsets they use. This is uh, actually a pretty common uh, uh, company. So, but anyway, I like it because it makes me look like a helicopter pilot. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know if the sound quality is any good, but basically, you know, I feel like I'm in a war zone. Now I don't understand the DSP thing because wouldn't wouldn't it almost have to have a DSP if it was a USB headset anyway? Well, I, I don't know a lot of it, but I think the DSP probably uh, further instead of just like you know converting the. If anybody has any ideas on this, feel free to correct me. But I think it's just a regular one. Uh, it just you know does a straight conversion of the analog into digi- a digital signal. But I think the DSP itself uh, it probably does some filtering of. Uh, I don't know exactly how that works, but I mean it, it does some sort of processing because you can get this exact same. Uh, this exact same model of headset, except it doesn't have DSP. And I know it's in the DSP, it differs from the regular one because the regular one just basically has a cord from the headset into the computer. And this one has a cord. It goes for about four feet. And then there's like something that says DSP on it. And then it goes into the uh, computer from that. So I imagine there's some sort of circuitry in there that I don't know. How about a high gain uh, noise to signal ratio filter? Okay, we'll <laughs> that- go with that. Your whatever filter, your imaginary <laughs> filter. It, it filters out all the evil, so you don't want to even know what I'm really saying right now. But it, it <laughs> converts it into like all happiness and like puppies and flowers. It filters an extra thirty bucks from your wallet into Plantronics. <laughs> it, it certainly did that. Okay, and we use uh, Skype, which pretty well-known software uh, to talk. You I know, think- I, I've heard a lot of people like who haven't heard of it and some people call it they're like oh it's instant messenger with with uh voice added on oh wow no it's i i would say it's voice with maybe a couple other things tacked in yeah, video exactly. too I, I don't want to downplay that it's got it's got good uh, video calling capability that's right um with skype out which you actually do have to pay for you can call out to phone numbers that's pretty cool um and you can you can can you receive from phone numbers on Skype? Yes. Yep. When anytime you hook up to the phone system, it costs money. But then you've got a phone number that's really portable. I mean, you could travel to Guam and plug your computer in there uh, and have your local U.S. phone number. Do you think they have high-speed internet in Guam that would enable you to use Skype? They have internet everywhere now. That's true. They do. You know, uh, something cool about Skype is that. Uh, it, it, it actually, you know how like the voice quality is super awesome. I mean, it basically sounds like you're in the room. It's so, so much better than even telephone, I think. But uh, it, it actually is like adaptive the way it uses your bandwidth. It like uses as much as it can, but uh, and it will like degrade the signal, I guess, when you uh, if you have like some other, you know, like say you're downloading something, it will actually degrade your Skype signal. But it's not like it won't skip and stuff. It'll just like like sound crappier and worse, which. You know, I mean, but you get that continuity of the voice, which is nice. And uh, it actually has a kind of a, a weird uh, kind of a peer-to-peer aspect to it that uh, if you're – like people like you and me, we're behind NAT routers. So, you know, we just pretty much go straight to the Skype server or whatever. But if you're not behind a NAT router, your computer can actually be used as like a super node, and it can actually kind of forward on some of the voice signal to uh, other other clients. Who has a computer that's not behind a NAT router these days? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess probably not a lot of people, but, you know, for and for our, and, and the NAT router is like a 
for anyone who doesn't know, is like basically one of those like Linksys or Belkin or Apple routers that you get that allows you to share your internet connection and provides very good security. But so that's just kind of something interesting about it. So it basically acts as kind of a peer-to-peer network, which you know who would have thought? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, if you set <laughs> impressed. no, I mean I was just thinking about this. If you set up port forwarding. You, would it still be able to function as a supernode in that case? I bet it would. Yeah, I bet you're right. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And uh, Skype does not support universal plug-and-play, which is a way that it could set up its own port forwarding. Uh, but that's that's geeking out. That uh, is geeking out. And that and that and that's only half of our show, so we don't want to <laughs> use up the whole geek part. Then, then it'll just be basically me freaking out for the next 30 minutes. So, And with Skype, we use uh, a built-in... Actually, it looks like it's third-party, but it's shipped with the download of Skype uh, recorder called Pamela uh, to to record our conversations. Yeah, Pamela, she's a good old girl. <laughs> so that's all the uh, the nuts and bolts, so to sit, so to speak, of our uh, our podcast. What uh, you do a lot of the the software stuff. What software tools are you using? All right. Um, once we're done recording, I use Audacity, which is a free open source sound editor, uh, to pull in all the sounds. And believe it or not, we edit these conversations. They don't they don't flow quite like this in the first place. Um, and I just you know assemble the bits and pieces of our of our different chats together. Try to get the uh, lengths to somewhere between you know 35, 45 minutes, and then do some basic processing, uh, normalize out the sound so we're all about the same volume, things like that. So you use Audacity to uh, uh, pin this together. Then you use your other Audacity to go out to parties and make a fool of yourself, right? Correct. Those are two different okay. Audacities. I like the one that is for our podcast. <laughs> Once I'm done with that, I actually use a free tool called the Levelator. Um, and this is by a company called uh, Conversations Network. Um, and that goes through the whole call that we've had, um, and it's kind of it's it's like a rolling normalization, um, and it tries to match our our different speeches together, um, so that way we don't have to have our mic levels perfectly in sync. Cool. And then which which has gone very well. And the next, you're, I, I'm going to beat you to okay. it. And the next is the Pat Army. Or, <laughs> no, it's the Lame. It's not Thank the you Pat. very much. Uh, the next is a piece <laughs> of software called Lame. Which is a recursive acronym. Uh, it stands for Lame Ain't an MP3 Encoder, um, but it is an MP3 encoder, so they're lying. It's not just an MP3 encoder. Uh, I I thought I heard it's not. I thought I've heard Lame's another MP3 encoder, but maybe all right. I, but but I mean you use it more because I I heard about it a long time ago and I thought that's what it was. But maybe people and their acronyms. Okay. Anyway, go on. That's true. Um, the official Lame. By the way, website on SourceForge uh, does say yep. Lame originally stood for Lame Ain't an MP3 Encoder. They've probably pretty much uh, given up on what it stands for, and now that people just know the name, that's fine. Lame. <laughs> so uh, we use Lame to convert our sound into an MP3, which gets it ready for your iPods or web players or iTunes. Or what if we wanted to... Uh, publish our podcast in like AUG or uh, WMA. Is, what are there other tools out there that we could use to do that? There are others. Uh, nothing has the wide support that MP3 really has. Um, AUG is very difficult to find support for still, um, and, and at the player level, certainly it's easy on the desktop. 
Um, and uh, Windows Media, you're you're limited to uh, Microsoft certified players. Uh, I, I had a an MP3 player once before I got an iPod, and it said supports AUG. And then I loaded an AUG in there, and on the little screen it says does not support AUG. <laughs> so. Well, uh, I'm not the sure. AUG format is actually just a container format, like AVI or MOV. Um, it doesn't actually tell yeah. you about the uh, the encoding that's used inside the file. Ah, but I digress. Um, yes, you do. So, and you you know, you get somewhere around ten to one compression. Cool. Um, on average, what's the typical size of one of our podcasts? I've never even looked at the file. It just kind of handles it alone. Like, what, like in, in wave format, like how many? megabytes is it versus in mp3 format oh for instance looking at our fourth episode it's about average for length for us um that was a 425 meg uh wave file uh wow. and that compressed down to about a little under 16 megs that's an mp3 and if you think about that like a song if you just like you know Typically, a song is four megabytes and like three and a half minutes long. So we must really uh, be able to cut down the quality without really sacrificing much. Well, you can get away with a lot when you're doing uh, straight voice. Um, generally speaking, for <laughs> stereo music at a decent quality, you're going to you're going to be around a meg a minute. Okay. Um, but we can take uh, we take the average bitrate down to about 56k um, and encode this in mono, so there's no stereo data. Oh, that, really? I guess put those two together, and that that helps to save a lot of space. I guess if you're only talking into one microphone, then stereo probably wouldn't help you out very much. Exactly. Anyway. We could put you on the left and me on the right. No, that. Then it would. Then it would be like an angel and a devil, one on one side, one on the other, telling you about technology, or I guess not really. <laughs> I would be the angel, though. So there. Okay. Anyway. So once we're so we've talked about the past. So at this point, we've got the. MP3 ready to post. Um, I use Firefox and Fire FTP, great little add-on. Zip it across the net to our host. Um, we're running on a Linux-based web server, the LAMP stack, Linux, Linux Apache, uh, MySQL, and PHP. Okay. We, we actually use a WordPress blog for this, uh, which is an open-source PHP blog software we've talked about before. I like WordPress. The more I use it, because my the main Tech Geeks blog is uh, actually uses Movable Type, which I've talked about, and I really like WordPress. And at some point, I'm going to get the motivation to convert over to uh, to WordPress. I'm pretty sure WordPress nice. will import a Movable Type blog. Oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, I've gotten to like WordPress myself. It's it's pretty pretty flexible to work with. There's a gigantic library of plugin software. Um, you just have to be careful, keep your plugins up to date and all that. Uh, just this week, there was a critical vulnerability discovered in WordPress that allowed anyone who registered a user account to edit any post. Don't try that on our blog. It's been patched. I edited all the posts, though, to talk about how awesome I am. <laughs> but then then, you, then, then all of our, then all of our uh, the people who had registered edited that out. So. And we use a, an add-on called PodPress. Um, again, hitting WordPress's rich third-party add-on libraries. Um, and PodPress manages the syndication of our pod podcast feed uh, for iTunes. Which brings us to the last last piece of software I use regularly, which is iTunes uh, is the pod podcast manager of choice for me. Well, I, you know, I think that it's one of those things where uh, it may not be, like, technologically, like, the best podcast aggregator or 
the best, you know, music management software. But the fact of the matter is, everybody has it. So it's if you want to get found or discovered, that's probably where you want to. Probably be. the number one podcast directory out there. Although I'm really looking forward to, I'm going to get a Zune and use the Zune podcast store. I'm sure that's going to be way better. <laughs> I'm not really going to do that, but. And speaking of portables, of course, big news this week from Apple. I know. I just I just about died when I heard 16 this. gig iPhone and a 32 gig Touch. They're out of my price range though. Five hundred dollars. That's a little much. You know, I was thinking about that. All right. So for the iPod Touch, you know, the eight gigabyte iPod Touch is uh, two hundred ninety nine dollars. The 16 gigabyte iPod Touch is three hundred ninety nine dollars, and the 32 gig iPod Touch is four hundred ninety nine dollars, which makes you wonder to go for that. Eight gigabytes, like an extra eight gigabytes, costs a hundred dollars. But you know, to go from eight to sixteen, but to go from sixteen to thirty-two, uh, sixteen gigabytes costs a hundred dollars. So I think that they're, it's really kind of weird how they're, you know, kind. I'm not sure if they're overpricing or underpricing it, but I think that may just be a way for them to like start phasing out the eight gigabyte one because it, it's really quite underpowered. I'd say that, that's a possibility, and. You know, Apple's always been really adept at incremental pricing. Um, I've never bought without being tempted to buy the next model up. Yeah, well, and you know, I was thinking about it. And did you you owned an iPod before your Touch, right? And an iPod Mini. An iPod Mini, yeah. And I mean, I owned iPod Video, so I mean, it wasn't just like you know. And both of our iPods, I'm sure, would have lasted forever. But it's like, well, it's the next one up. It's better, which we talked about a lot until we can keep number one, but. You know, yeah. It, so it was just it, it was interesting. But then there was the most awesome thing of the universe: 16 gigabyte iPhone. I would say when the iPhone came out, you know, I was like basically, you know, I turned to jelly inside because I was so excited about it. Then I found out that first of all, it's only on AT and T, which is kind of forgivable. But the maximum they had for like a portable video player, like the iPod or iPhone, was eight gigabytes, and that was way way too small. But you could live with 16. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the iPod Touch, I could live with 16. I, you know, that, that's like kind of the lower limit of what I could live with. But I kind of that's like the line in the sand. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to have another episode when you get an iPhone. Yeah, my contract is up in about a year. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll, for Tweaking Geek number 30 is when we'll talk <laughs> about my new iPhone. Um, and one other thing I want to say about the all the software that we used, every single piece of software aside from Windows is free of cost. Uh, not all open source, about 50% open source and 50% just plain free. Um, but that's pretty impressive that the entire tool chain to do this costs nothing. I mean, all we yeah. pay for is web hosting. And by we, we mean you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, it, it is true. And uh, our podcasts are pretty high quality sounding. And I mean, I mean, we are amateurs, but it actually sounds not too bad the recording industry has to be shaking in their boots that this technology is out there and low priced let's just say that if i find anybody sharing this on peer-to-peer networks i will definitely be filing some lawsuits (laughs) because i'm losing billions of dollars in revenue every year because of illegal file sharing of tweaking (laughs) well that brings up a good good question so why do you podcast i'll tell you why one reason why i don't podcast I'm not looking to monetize the podcast at this time, although I reserve the right to change my mind if we get tens of thousands of listeners. That's right. Oh, and by the way, this podcast was brought to you by Apple Computer, <laughs> the iPod Touch. 
<laughs> Apple, we're looking out for you. Uh, so long as I don't get to the point where I'm, you know, incurring overage costs for this podcast, I have no I, no intention of bringing in Google Ads or anything like that. Oh yeah, I mean that is probably pretty reasonable. I think getting into something like this and expecting to make money on it is a little presumptuous. I wouldn't say even presumptuous, but you know, you're just basically fooling yourself because the market's so saturated. You know the any money that there is to be made on this is, you know, pretty much reserved for the the not for the faint of heart, <laughs> for the professionals. And yeah, and I'm and I'm I'm faint of heart, so I can't I can't monetize this. So sorry about that. Now that we've you know said kind of why we don't do it, why do you podcast? That is that is a question that philosophers have been asking ever since Socrates first asked it in the 8th century BC. In the 8th century BC, podcasts took a long time to download. That's right, because they were podcasts were carried packet by packet by marathon runners <laughs> in togas. <laughs> so so all right, so Pat, why why do you podcast? Because uh, you know what? I asked you, know, you first. Not, oh, I thought that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> You know, you know me and my rhetoric. <laughs> All right, why do I podcast? Well, I can't say I've always wanted to podcast because I haven't always known what a podcast was. Uh, actually, I just uh, someone introduced my friend John, who is a listener of our show. He uh, mentioned uh, podcasts to me a while back, and he's like, "Oh, you ought to check it out." I listened to this one called, you know, "This Week in Tech," and this other one called "Buzz Out Loud," and I'm like, "Okay, you know, it's free. It's something to try." And uh, I actually had to take a like a four and a half hour car trip so i uh stuck a few of these mp3s on my uh on my mp3 player and i'm like huh this is definitely a different medium it's like news but it's not really news and it's like serious but it's not really that serious and i just liked it and i'm like you know what i think it'd be really fun to do a podcast and uh you know i've always like kind of just talked about it since you know i heard about it but then uh and i thought it'd be fun but i never really had the ambition to do it but then one day you suggested we do one and uh like cool so i would say all right so to let me condense that really kind of boring answer into one word or two word answer it's fun good answer um uh, that would be my answer uh, i enjoy doing a podcast uh you know just talking on the on the telephone we usually end up uh, laughing to figure hey maybe maybe someone else will find what we do, what we say interesting uh, or funny uh and you know it's an it's an interesting way to just uh, build on the social blog thing. Um, obviously, I, I cross promote uh, Tweaking Geek from my blog, and it's you know it's it, it's a lot of fun. It seems like another way to pull in a different community. It is, and you meet lots of women. I, I haven't met very many women podcasting. I might. I don't know where you're podcasting from, but I just you know haven't met a lot of women podcasting either. <laughs> Actually, that's still an overstatement. <laughs> Tonight, Craig podcast from the club floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm, what is, I'm here. I am at studio. Was it Studio Sixty One? <laughs> uh, well, no, that's yeah. So, have you ever like who? All right, who is your uh, your inspiration? Like, wh- like what is like kind of said to you? Get into podcasting. You know, who like is your podcast idol? I mean, the basic answer. What's my favorite podcast? I guess, which is which is or, hard to say. Or the no. podcast that okay. really got me motivated was .NET Rocks. I mean, and uh, now that yes. one is literally professionally produced. 
Um, but it's, I mean, it's great listening to it in yeah. terms of how good they are at chatting, all, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, they have this really technical podcast, and yet it's still uh, enjoyable to listen to as much as any talk radio. I, I, I listen to podcast or to a podcast to .NET Rocks also, actually by your recommendation, and I like it a lot too. Although I'm waiting for in the uh, better no framework section when they talk about int. <laughs> That would be system.int32 to you. Oh, sorry. I, I'm, I'll be more formal from now <laughs> on. No, but that that is a good one. I I agree. My my I would say my like kind of person that got kind of got me to it was there's a anyone who listens to podcasts has heard of like Leo Laporte. Uh, he he does like about 500 podcasts, and he used to be on Tech TV, but he's basically a radio announcer. He does a radio show, but he does like This Week in Tech. He also does a security podcast called Security Now, a Windows podcast. He does one on snack food, which I don't listen to. He does This Week in Tech. Uh, he, he just does all these things, and, and like a daily gadget one. I mean, there's all this stuff that basically, you know, he's like this bottomless like pit of like podcasting information, and it's just like, you know, I can pretty much never get tired of listening to him. So I'm like, he does some pretty cool stuff. So it's, I, I really respect, like, the work he does. So I think it's cool to be in that same sort of arena. Are we in the same arena? We're in the, we're in the training it's, locker room at the elementary school. Whereas, like, a professional hockey player plays an arena with plush seats and, like, beer stands, we're in that one where there's where there's, like, our hockey arena is a frozen pond with a bench and a bag of peanuts. <laughs> so, while we're talking about podcasts, uh, interesting news coming about Time Warner. Uh, it sounds like they're considering uh, charging uh, tiered internet pricing based on usage. Um, and th- the specific worry here, Conjecture has them uh, targeting iTunes. Yes. So... This is worrisome. Uh, this really worries me because you've got the, uh, you know, the cable companies who are already in the business of trying to sell you television. Uh, lately, more and more, trying to sell you on-demand television and downloadables, um, and they're directly threatened. You know, as they sell you internet service, and then you use that to hit their competitors up. Exactly, and part of that is uh, the uh, internet. Or, you know, our ISP is not like a utility, like our you know our water or our electricity, right? Because they have this interest to sell you. You know, they have the medium of delivery. In addition, they want you to buy what they have to deliver. And as we all know from uh, buying services that like a cell phone company has, or whatever, generally what the ISP has tends to be inferior to uh, what. You know, a third party might offer and expense. That's that's, yeah, exactly. Now, what worries me about this? I mean, this is getting to an issue called net neutrality, and that is right. It shouldn't affect my internet bill based on what I do. Now, the just the idea of charging for traffic wouldn't bother me so much, except that what it should mean is that, for instance, if you want to buy a very limited plan, you know, a two gigabyte a month plan. Uh, because all you ever do is check your email, it seems like that should be really, really dirt cheap. Um, and I just, this is pure conjecture, but I imagine that's not going to be the case. They're they're going to try to stay as close to the current price point as they can on the bottom end and just go up from there. You're probably right. Uh, however, um, the whole net neutrality thing, you're, you know, I see what you're saying, you're right. However, like one argument that you can make is that... Uh, 
if you, you know, right now, you know, people say, well, you know, if we're, why don't we just all pay the same amount? But it really is kind of unfair, you know, say there's someone who is downloading, you know, 10 movies, 10, you know, HD movies, you know, illegally per, you know, per day. And they're using up, you know, they're using. Well, let's, you know, let's even say it's, you know, let's leave legality out of it. That's a, that's a, t- well, I, I'm issue. just. Okay, well, I'm just saying no one's rich enough to buy all those movies legally. But all right, well, all right. So you know, but like um, downloading that, you know, using that much, say you know, say a hundred gigabytes a month, or you know, or more, and all you do is check your email. However, so really, you are subsidizing the person who is doing all of the downloads because you know you're using the same medium, and you know the cable company presumably or ISP presumably has to do up upkeep to the lines and their equipment and stuff and that comes from your the fee that you pay right, and i guess we're, and, we're conflating two issues here um charging you know metered usage is not violating net neutrality right exactly that's right net, neutra- yeah, exactly. net neutrality yeah, is like saying uh we're going to make sure that google has a slow connection for you because right, unless they want to pay more, right, and that's you know that that's another issue uh, where they're basically double dipping. Of course, Google's already paying an ISP, right, and the whole net neutrality thing that is basically uh, companies want to be able to have their cake and eat it too, and uh, you know be able to uh, not only provide the service, but they pretty much get to decide what's on on the wires. You know, they can right, and they and can, the analogy is. Um, the post office can't say, no, Craig, I I don't want to deliver your letter to Pat. I mean, the most they can say to you is, well, you haven't purchased enough postage for this gigantic letter bomb you're trying to ship. <laughs> yeah, you know, last time I tried to send you a letter, it got returned, and they're like, you're not, you're allowed to ship a three-ounce maximum of anthrax through the mail at any time, <laughs> so. No, no, we're kidding. There's no mail bombs or anthrax here. We are kidding. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, we're kidding. <laughs> Don't disappear us. <laughs> so if there's, if they genuinely mean we're having capacity problems and we're going to use market pressures to solve it, then that's one thing. Um, they'd sure better have a good system for cutting you off when you hit your limit, though. Uh most most times I've heard of metered internet, they don't really cut you off, but they throttle you back to like dial-up speeds when you hit your limit. The last thing you need to hear is someone getting hit with a $35,000 overage bill. Yeah, and I, I expect if they're going to do metered, they would probably give you some some sort of option to uh, to uh, you know up your limit. Say you have a, a month up your limit downloading a lot of stuff <laughs> up your limit, right? Um, so you know. Uh, to be able to increase your limit or something. And, uh, oh, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say is that actually, you know, everyone's all, like, kind of appalled at this, but I guess this is the model that actually, like, pretty much most of Europe and uh, Southeast Asia uses for uh, their Internet is the, uh, you know, kind of the subscription-based Internet where you where you pay for your, you know, bandwidth. But and if you think about it, I mean, if you bought, like, 15 gigabyte download, that's that's a lot of space. If you're just downloading, you know, email and, like, you know, Podcasts or something, and web, web surfing. You know, it's going to take a long time to use up all that. So it's it's alarming, just that the, you know this is the first time someone's really suggested that in the U.S. for broadband. It's not the end of the world, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on and see what impact this could have. It could. I, I agree, and uh, it, that would mean 
it would basically be cheaper for me to fly to Georgia and record Tweaking Geek in person and fly back. Yes. So while we are uh, talking about rumors uh, and things like that, we've got uh, rumors uh, of some big uh, acquisitions or potential acquisitions. Um, the biggest is probably Microsoft made a $45 billion and change bid for Yahoo. Yahoo! <laughs> uh, it, well, this interests me because uh, Microsoft has been trying to really push into the web sphere for a long time and never quite getting there. Yeah, well, you know, they, they, they're probably their biggest presence on the net, you know, the, is... Uh, they're st- they're kind of old standard Hotmail, you know the and I guess now Windows Live Mail, but pretty much Hotmail is like kind of the thing that people really know about. And that, if you think about, it, that's been around for a long time and not really been particularly glamorous. No, but it's it's probably the most common uh, webmail out there. I mean, yeah, Gmail you, is you, probably more popular these days, but do you know where the name Hotmail comes from? Where does it come from? I'll give you a thousand dollars if you can guess. Oh. But and oh. if you look it up on the internet, then you owe me $1,000. All right. Well, I'm going to have to ask you what it is then. Uh, no $1,000 right. for me. So take the word Hotmail and capitalize the H, T, M, and L in it. That's where it came from. It was like HTML, Hotmail, like HTML mail. Oh. Like it's web mail. Well, that's clever. It is clever, isn't it? I'm sure they bought it from someone, so they didn't come up with it. Oh, yeah, Microsoft did not invent Hotmail. No, no. Well, and do you remember Microsoft, you know, the whole passport thing was another thing they were trying to do in the web. That's right. Uh, it was live passport. Thank you very much. Windows, all right. Yeah. But it, it was like it It basically went, went away. I mean, when's the last time, you know, you used your passport to log into a third-party website? MSDN doesn't count, huh? No. They're, I, I wouldn't call them third-party. They're two and a half at best. Uh, then, then no place. And MSDN, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, is the Microsoft Developer Network, which is where geeks like us can go uh, get a hold of Microsoft products and test them out, make sure make sure Windows Vista SP1 isn't going to break our applications, things like that. Exactly. Or where you can, or or where you can, uh, if you have a company with it, where you can get software for free from your company. And oh, did I say that? No. Where you can try it out. <laughs> For development purposes only. For development purposes it's only, and that. not use. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that may be the biggest uh, joke in the, or the biggest, the worst kept secret of the development world. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, so Microsoft and their uh, hostile offer to take over Yahoo, which it was like it had kind of like hostile feelings because it was wasn't more of a let's negotiate something whatever. Microsoft's like. Here's money we want to buy you, which is actually fairly uncommon. Usually it's a little bit more negotiatory. So here's here are a couple things I found interesting. One is that this they've been trying to quietly work out a deal since 2006. So this I is not this is that. not a new direction for them. Um, the other is, of course, uh, Yahoo had you know over a thousand people laid off last week, um, which is. It makes them a, a an appealing target for a, a buyout. Uh, I mean, they're they're lean and mean, and uh, obviously, you know, if they just had a layoff, they're likely in need of a little bit of capital. Yep. But it, Google doesn't like this, right? Um, they issued a, a response uh, indicating that 
they're concerned that with this kind of a purchase, uh, picking up Yahoo Instant Messenger and Yahoo Mail, um, they would control too many uh, webmail and IM accounts. Can you have them on yeah. webmail and IM? I don't know, but but micro, one thing, probably the one of the biggest things that Microsoft would get out of this, or maybe not one of the biggest, but a big thing, is that Yahoo Mail is, I think, generally considered to be pretty much the best uh, webmail client out there. Uh, just from like what I've read, is that it's just awesome and getting better. So uh, they, Microsoft would be able to basically get this awesome intellectual property of a fantastic webmail client. Well, it'll be a it'll be a business issue to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Actually, uh, w- considering their business issues, what do you think that the uh, how do you think those cultures would mash? Because Microsoft is a very like you know you know kind of licensing, closed source sort of thing, where Yahoo is pretty well known for their kind of openness and, you know, the support of kind of open source type things. And In fact, I know a lot of people who use the uh, YUI uh, Yahoo Widget kit. Yeah, they, they had a .NET Rocks about that. And, and yeah, and that's totally awesome. So how will that merge? Well, you know, if the, this comes to fruition, will... If Microsoft it happens, which it, it'll move slowly... Uh, At least a couple get, of years. Yeah, it's got to get through SEC approval, and who knows how long that could take, uh, especially with Microsoft under the uh, careful watch still due to their antitrust suit. Yeah. Um, I would be surprised if Microsoft tried to push sweeping changes at Yahoo. Um, it seemed like the sort of acquisition that you'd, you'd let it work out its course over time. But I, I would be really shocked if, if they actually... Uh, tried to close off any of the Yahoo source or slow down their kind of you know open releases uh, because I mean dis- despite floundering a little bit the last few years Yahoo is essentially a pretty uh, solid company. Um, I mean they've hmm. they are one of the earliest internet players, uh, web players, and they're certainly uh, still still a force to contend with. I I still use uh, the My Yahoo portal service um, and I've been using that since 1999. Wow, I would say the only real competitor to Yahoo is Lycos, <laughs> or maybe maybe Excite, but I'm not sure. But you know, you know, I've never really been a fan of Yahoo. Uh, I, I've never had a Yahoo. I think I have a Yahoo account just for like using the instant messenger because I have some friends who use it. But uh, that you know, in the web portal, I've always found it to be like too confusing. I never liked their web portal, but their their personalized portals, my Yahoo, uh, they were one of the first people to come out with that kind of a service. It just seemed like a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm much more into like the iGoogle. I, that's the first kind of personalized portal I ever used. So, And while we're in the uh, rumors and acquisitions, um, there's a rumor that NVIDIA is looking to purchase, and I don't know how to say this, but I'm going to guess Agia. <gasps> Uh, the physics card producers. Um, so this, is, this has got a couple things that are kind of interesting uh, to me. So one is, uh, I actually have an Agia physics card, and I think there are like three games that support it. Um, but it's an interesting idea where you have a, a card to offload the intense uh, physics calculations uh, required for a game. So for instance, you, know, you can take your number of particles visible in a scene from you know, a couple thousand to tens of thousands. Cool. Uh, you know, which you know, in the end is going to mean you know you have better looking explosions, smoke, fire, debris. You know, just 
lends a little bit of additional realism. Uh, I guess eventually you could be talking about improved game physics. Um, the problem with that now is you have so little market penetration that you can't you can't make anything critical depend on this card being there because it's so, so unlikely. To use that to take advantage of the like the physics processing, does software have to be written specifically to take advantage of like I don't know a physics coprocessor or whatever or it, or it does. Uh, oh, okay. You have to work to an SDK, and there are two competing right now um, with a lot of market share. You've got a GIA, which is probably the retail uh, movement, and then you have Havoc, which is uh, Intel works with. I believe I believe Intel purchased Havoc, um, so you know they both have Havoc and the Physics or PhysX, which is the Agia product. Um, I believe they both have a software component, but then that software component can detect and utilize the hardware. So it's an interesting move because AMD, who purchased Radeon, or ATI, maker of the Radeon series of cards last year, has openly declared that they don't believe in a future with uh, physics coprocessors. Um, really? So you have the big player of ATI, um, ma- manufacturers of add-on cards, uh, now AMD as well, so you're seeing more embedded ATI solutions, uh, abstaining from the physics market entirely. You have NVIDIA, who produces a good number of onboard and you know laptop embedded video chips, um, moving towards uh, including a physics unit. You can I can only imagine they intend to eventually include the physics unit on the graphics card. Um, and then you have Intel, who has massive domination of the uh, embedded video market uh, with their solution. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting to see the future. It looks like we're going to specialize out another processing unit. And physics kind of makes sense to to uh, split out into a coprocessor. Um, ver- in a, kind of similar to a graphics card, you're talking about massively parallel computations. Right. Um, the kind of thing that your CPU is not very good at, but that it's not very difficult to build a chip to specialize in. Right, so it basically it frees up your CP like the horsepower of your CPU to do the real calculations that need to be done to run the software, and just leave kind of the the accounting to the the kind of the dumb chip is what you're saying. Exactly. That's so. So it's it's got potential to change, you know, largely gaming in the future, and who knows where it could go from there for applications. Interesting. Well, they'll ha- we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. As soon as we hear more rumors, we'll update all of our listeners. I heard that Microsoft offered $55 billion for, to purchase Tweaking Geek. That's only a rumor. And, and they offered $0.45 cents for the combined World IV and MainTechGeeks.com. <laughs> there is a site uh, to evaluate the, uh, the value of a blog. Really? And what would that site be? That site is www.business-opportunities.biz, um, and we'll include a link to this in the show notes. It's actually a little sub-page on, on the site. You're, you're testing to see how much we're worth, aren't you? I am. So, according to business-opportunities.biz, oh, our blog, tweakinggeek.com slash podcast, is worth a measly $1,129.08. Sell. <laughs> Do we have a buyer? How much is yours worth? 
WorldIV.com. Well, first I'm checking yours. Uh, World I, World IV, when I last looked a couple days ago, when I stumbled across this site, was worth about uh, $15,000. Holy crap. Unfortunately, I, I'm sorry to say, blog.maintechgeeks.com is worth zero. Really? Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this is data mining technorati uh, for, for this information. Uh, okay. What, <laughs> zero dollars. Great. <laughs> Um, that well, just just indicates you don't have a lot of incoming links. That's really where this data comes from. Oh, is okay. That, that that's just funny and sad. I will now be going to cry myself to sleep, <laughs> and I'll, I'll actually be crying so much I'll, be, I'll cry other people to sleep too. So, well, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we always love to hear from you at tg at tweakinggeek dot com. That's T-W-E-A-K-A-N-D-G-E-E-K dot com. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for shows, anything you'd like us to talk about, uh, just drop us a line. And my uh, st- my uh, challenge stands, if anybody wants to record a like an MP3 voice message to us and put it on there, as long as it's not totally horrible, we'll, uh, we'll put you on and let you become a celebrity for... Just a brief moment in time, and then we'll make fun of you. Because of your Warhol 15 minutes of fame. That's right. Well, after this, Pat, I think I'm going to uh, go and uh, buy a $1,000 World of Warcraft character so I can uh, be at level 70 with everybody. So <laughs> I, bet, I better hurry up. All right. Well, then, enjoy your World of Warcraft, Craig. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>